Hey there, everybody. Bon dia, buenos dias, bonjour, guten tag. It's April 27th, and it's a great day for increasing our appreciation for who God is and the great things that He has done and is doing. It's a great day to have our hope for the future fortified with the intake of God's promises, which are made certain to us in the new covenant of His grace. My name is David McAdam, and this is the One Year Bible Tour podcast. And I hope I can be an encourager of your faith and joy today as we read God's Word together and spend some time in reflective meditation and prayer. We're making our way through the Bible and are right on course to complete our tour of the Bible 248 days from now. Already, we've taken in unforgettable sights, and today we will witness that God's work of deliverance does not depend on human wisdom or human strength. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-28 to 28. Today we will read about God working through a small remnant, a minority, to win the day. It's the story of Gideon. Yesterday we began reading about Gideon as the fifth deliverer in the cycle of Judges, but today we will see how God put his strength on display through human weakness. We will also witness God's strength on display in Christ, who was crucified in weakness, and yet by that act accomplished the greatest work in human history, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. So let's get started by reading the Old Testament portion in today's reading from the One Year Bible in the book of Judges, chapter 7. We'll begin with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Gideon's 300 men. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Porah, his servant, 
to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I had a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it, so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as beth toward Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as beth and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as beth and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Chapter 8 Gideon Defeats Zeba and Zalmanah Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, he and the three hundred men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmona, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmona already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmona into my hand, 
I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmana were in Karkor with their army, about fifteen thousand men, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for there had fallen a hundred and twenty thousand men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Naba and Jogbaha, and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zeba and Zalmana fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmana, and he threw all the army into a panic. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Herez, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, seventy-seven men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmanah, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of Judges. And now, as is our custom, we will take a few moments to reflect. Yesterday, we read of Gideon putting a fleece before the Lord, not because he doubted God's ability to deliver his people from the Midianites, but because he doubted whether God could use an insecure person such as himself to do it. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 38. Gideon knew that he was no savior. He needed to be saved from the fear and unbelief that gripped him. God can deal with the enemies within as well as the enemies without. In the cases of both Moses and Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared to them to make this point. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 and Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Both Moses and Gideon shared haunting doubts about whether God could use them for the works he was calling them to accomplish. Contrary to the teaching of popular self-esteem gurus, the answer for the insecurity problem of Moses and Gideon was not that they thought too lowly of themselves. The problem was that they were not thinking lowly enough. They were still thinking too highly of themselves and not highly enough of God. They were still measuring and evaluating their own fitness for the task. They had not yet realized that God is so great that He can use anyone to manifest His power and presence. He can use any old bush in the wilderness to manifest His glory. The fire of God's glory that burned before the eyes of Moses was not fueled by anything provided by the bush in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Neither did God need naturally kindled fire to consume the offering that He received from Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 21. The angel commanded that the entire offering be put on the rock, which speaks of Christ. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the end of his staff, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed it all. It was not consumed by any fuel provided by Gideon. The spark and fire came from the staff in the hand of the angel of the Lord, the life and authority of God himself. 
This is the way of God. He takes a man who is insecure enough about his adequacy for the task that he realizes that the Lord is his entire adequacy. Have you realized this truth? He is our sufficiency. He is our confidence. He is our strength. The battle is his. The strategy is his. The weapons are his. The victory is his. The peace is his. During the period of the judges, peace is short-lived because the people fail to live in the light of the Lord who is their peace. It is a picture of God's people failing to abide in Christ. Gideon, rather sheepishly, asked if he could put out another fleece before the Lord. He does this knowing that God had every right to be angry at his unbelief. In Judges chapter 6, verse 39. This reminds us of the man with the demonized son who said to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. Mark chapter 9, verse 24. We believe the right things in our heads in some cases, but our hearts need emotional reinforcement. The epistle of John teaches us that there are better ways to assure our hearts before God. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 24, throwing a fleece is not the biblically prescribed or divinely sanctioned method of discerning God's will. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 22, we read, We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Gideon would have reasons to be insecure if God were banking on his personal qualifications. He was not a military man. He was a farmer. There were other men from families and tribes who currently had more influence to rally the troops. Others were more competent, naturally qualified to win the vote, as more likely to succeed. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is sympathetic to our human limitations, in Psalm 103, verse 14, and He stoops to fulfill Gideon's request. As the fleece is left out overnight, it is completely dry while the ground is wet with dew. Now Gideon was without excuse. He must confront the enemy, but he and his army were to confront them as one man. The word for one in the Hebrew, in this instance, in Judges chapter 6, verse 16, is echad, meaning a composite oneness, reflecting the community of oneness figured in the Trinity, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, in marriage, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and grapes joined in clusters to the vine, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 23. The army would be identified and joined together as one man, prefiguring the oneness of Christ and His church. But once again, the Lord challenges natural sensibilities. Gideon, who blew the trumpet to rally 32,000 men, is told that the number of men with him is too many. The enemy's troops number 135,000 or more in Judges chapter 8, verse 10. The Lord tells Gideon to dismiss all those who are afraid. 22,000 leave. This would have been shattering to Gideon's ego if there was anything left of his ego to shatter. The ability of the leader to encourage the faint-hearted was not the quality God was looking for here. Those who remained did not do so because their trust was in themselves or their leader's natural abilities. Their trust was in the fact that God had promised to deliver the enemy into their hands and he would use his servant Gideon to do so. The Lord then tells Gideon that the 10,000 who remain are still too many. To whittle the army down to a minuscule size of 300, the Lord announces that he will test or sift those who were already trusting in his ability to deliver them from the enemy. He would do it with the water test. 
How did the Lord determine those who would be joined together as one man to fight the enemy? With the men that lapped. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. What does it mean? We may not be entirely sure, but it appears that those who lapped brought the water to their mouths with cupped hands, maintaining a position of alertness to their surroundings and readiness for the battle for which they were called. Those who prostrated themselves, bowing down or kneeling, would have lost sight of where they were or why they were being summoned. We will have situations in our lives that test whether our faith is truly rooted in God. Do we forget the big picture and lose sight of why we are called? The greatest ability that God looks for is availability, the availability of faith. The word avail refers to prove worthy, profitable, or valuable. Faith sees the value and worth of God's ability to the degree that we make ourselves present and ready to do what God has called us to do. We are confident in God's ability to perform. Therefore, we avail ourselves to God's marching orders. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 Those who lapped were not afraid to look like dogs in the eyes of the enemy or others. They would not dawdle to indulge themselves by putting their heads in the water. Some commentators infer that the getting down on their knees smacked of the religion of the Midianites and Amorites in the worship of Baal. However, I am not convinced that nearly 10,000 of those who were coming forward were doing so, trusting in Baal to deliver them. How is it with your faith? Is your heart attitude one that joins together with the people of God, identifying with the person, work, and mission of Christ? We cannot borrow faith from our next-door neighbor. Some people view faith as being the ability to believe something to be true. No, that's not biblical faith. Faith is the transfer of trust to a person or thing considered reliable. Faith must take a valuable, trustworthy object. True faith is not faith in faith. True faith is faith in the one who is faithful and true. Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. It has been said that faith is like a toothbrush. We all need one, but you should not use someone else's. Is your trust in the one who is trustworthy? Now let's read from the New Testament. We're reading of the crucifixion of Christ today in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 43. Luke 23, verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. 
but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament passage from the Gospel according to Luke. We have been reading about an hour in which we see darkness reigning in Luke chapter 22, verse 53. Yet God's plan is being accomplished and Jesus' prophetic words are being proved true. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. First, Jesus is brought before the chief priests and scribes, then before Pilate, then to Herod where he is mocked, then back to Pilate where he is flogged, then to the people who demand that he be crucified. If the Jews had the right to enact capital punishment, the death would have been by stoning. But the scriptures were being fulfilled, written before the agony of crucifixion was known. Psalm 22 had been written a thousand years earlier. Jesus would be lifted up on a cross. John chapter 3, verse 14. John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Seven times the Gospels record the verdict, No fault in him. There is a sevenfold witness that the Lamb was without blemish. Pilate and Herod agree in Luke chapter 23, verses 14 and 15, 
And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Judas gives this witness, Matthew 27, verse 4, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. Pilate again, in John chapter 19, verse 4, He said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no guilt in him. Pilate's wife gives testimony to his innocence, in Matthew 27, verse 19, Besides, while he, that is Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Then we have the testimony of the believing thief in Luke 23, verse 41, And indeed we justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then we have the testimony of the Roman centurion in Luke 23, verse 47, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And then we have the testimony of those who stood with the centurion in Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Pilate says that he finds no fault in Jesus, yet he proves his own character's weakness by giving in to the crowd. There is no fair trial. The powers that be give in to the rule of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Envy reigns over justice. Fear of man reigns over the fear of God. The governmental rulers prove that they are ruled by darkness rather than light. Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified and attempts to release himself from the guilt of his decision by washing his hands. But Jesus is going to the cross because human beings cannot wash their hands of their own guilt. Now let's go to the Bible's song book and prayer book, the book of Psalms, Psalm 97 and Psalm 98. These are great psalms to give us the big picture. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All the worshippers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. A psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God.
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. It is difficult to read these psalms of praise without the melodies of songs and hymns coming to mind. The Lord reigns. You are exalted. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Over all the earth, shout to the Lord. Psalm 98 makes it clear that salvation is God's work. It is accomplished by His right hand and His holy arm. He has made it known. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He wills to accomplish the work and make it known. Isaac Watts was inspired by Psalm 98 to write the hymn, Joy to the World. It is more accurately described as a kingdom hymn rather than a Christmas carol. It is not the nativity that is celebrated here, but the second coming of Christ. In fact, in the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, the first coming of Christ is not mentioned. It is the kingdom reign of Christ that is in view. However, we rejoice in what Christ has accomplished in His first coming that makes possible His coming again to rule in righteousness. And now let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. What are these Proverbs teaching us? Choose your friends carefully. Nothing beneficial comes from associating yourself with a fool, especially one who is void of the knowledge of God. If you want to learn, seek out the wise. Give careful consideration to your conduct. Biblical wisdom is the application of what you know about Christ as the way. So walk accordingly. The folly of fools may strike you as being funny, but do not be deceived. It is tragic. Now let's pray. Almighty God, all-sufficient Savior, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, we have benefited by the rescue provided by your holy and mighty arm. We have been blessed by the revelation of your grace and truth in the person of your Son. Forgive us for misdirected faith that would look anywhere but to you as our sufficiency. May our trust be fully transferred to you to sanctify us completely, spirit, soul, and body. For faithful are you who called us, who also will do it. Firmly establish our faith in your adequacy. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this rich time of communion with God's thoughts through His Holy Word and that you are coming to know Him more and trusting Him more. So we want to thank you for being part of this Bible reading community and we look forward to continuing our journey tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You, you can contact us by email by writing podcast at newlife.org. And you can find out more about our ministries at newlife.org. Thank you once again for being with us. God bless you. And keep the faith by sharing it with others. Shalom.